Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Capital Adulting Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Gardner, and it is great to be back with you. Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit, hasn't it? So, yeah, a lot has happened since my last podcast episode, and I'm sure I will get into it incrementally over time. But long story short, a lot of good things in life, a lot of learning lessons and some, some tougher moments. But overall, life is good. No complaints on my end. And I'm actually really excited. This is the first episode that I've recorded in my new space. So it took a little while to get things set up, but really excited to be back online and just getting back into the groove of things. So really excited for that. A lot of uh, a lot of exciting new things will be coming y'all's way here in the near future. And really one of my goals for 2024 is to fully invest in this. And I think that's going to come in the form of recording more podcast episodes. love to branch this out into bringing on guests and making it a little bit more collaborative and interactive uh, in that sense, but also really zeroing in on some more like short form type content. You know, I may have to capitulate and break into the, the real slash TikTok type game. We'll see though that, uh, that might be a little bit adventurous for me. I've always been, uh, I've always jokingly told colleagues I'm more of a content guy than a creative one, but we'll see if I want to reach reach you all better. I think I'm going to need to branch out. So anyways, a little bit of a long-winded way of saying that I think there's a lot in store for 2024 and I'm excited for it. So make sure you're subscribed, you're following the podcast, you're following the various social media channels and yeah, let me know what you want to see. With that being said, let's jump into the topic of the day. So this is something that has really come to mind for me a lot recently, uh, but recently in like the last six months, stemming a lot from, you know, situations on on the work front, but I really saw it come to fruition or really come to the forefront uh, a couple of weeks ago in the, in the Lions-Niners NFC Championship game, so... For those of you who don't know, um, that is one of the two games that precedes the Super Bowl. This is American football we're talking about. Detroit Lions playing the San Francisco Niners. And, you know, the nine or the the Lions all season had run this sort of high risk, high reward strategy. You know, really kind of bucking the trend or the, the common norms within football. So you know, without going too deep into the basic mechanics of football, we're just going to assume you are generally familiar with it and the notion of being on offense, having four downs to get 10 yards, get first downs, things like that. So the Lions were very aggressive all season in the way they played offense, right? In situations in which teams are usually punting the ball or kicking field goals, they're going for it. They're trying to get a new set of downs, right? And that's where I said high risk, high reward. And that is a big part of what got them all the way to the NFC Championship game. You know, it might have been two or three years ago, they were one of the worst teams in football. I mean, I think the first season that Dan Campbell's the coach, they might have won one game, right? So they go all the way from that to being basically right there to go to the Super Bowl is, is quite a feat, especially uh, in the NFL. So you could see their strategy was paying off, right? They were converting those risky plays they were winning games that they otherwise wouldn't have right everything was smooth sailing until you get into the biggest moment in the season 
you have a couple critical moments where you stick to that aggressive strategy and it backfires and it in effect costs you the game right that's the argument you see a lot of sports pundits making and really the Detroit Lions head coach Dan Campbell got roasted across the board everyone's saying why wouldn't you kick the field goal there why wouldn't you punt the ball you know things like that second guessing it because of the outcome right because the Lions ended up blowing their lead losing to the Niners and losing their chance to go to their first Super Bowl in decades you know so is that fair should Dan Campbell have gone roasted for that you know and honestly if we take a step back think about how many times we see that in sports the headlines write themselves right there is a a make or break moment in a game or any sort of event and a play call is made a team does something a player does something right and if it works out it's oh my gosh look at the genius move look at the genius call by the coaching staff when it doesn't what the heck are they doing how could they do something so stupid how they knew that it wasn't going to work right and you can probably draw parallels to your own life of situations like that where when things go well you're excited people around you are excited saying hey that was a great decision that really worked out well for you good job or vice versa when it didn't work out but like come on what were you doing that didn't make any sense so all that to be said really what that kind of mindset that kind of scenario is called is being results oriented and that's what I wanted to dive into today because it is, I would say, one of the most dangerous things that you can do in your life is to fully subscribe to a results-oriented mindset. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But before we do, let's take a step back and let's just start by defining what being results-oriented means. So as the name you know might imply to you, and through my intro there, it is solely focusing on the end outcome above all, right? No matter what led up to it, the thought process, the decision-making process, the variables in play, the considerations made, things like that. When you're results-oriented, you're just focused on the outcome or the output. <clears throat> and that dictates how you value and how you judge your decision-making process to get to that point, right? Like nothing mattered up until that. Because something worked out well, well, then that just means that what we did before was the right thing to do. And if it went poorly, you know, the same holds true. We failed somewhere along the lines. Like it's just, we didn't do something right, or we just didn't get the right break. You know, things didn't break our way. And like I said, it, it, it zeroes in on that outcome. And more importantly, you associate your emotional response to that same outcome. So again, you get a good end result and that itself is a positive thing, but then you tie positive emotions to that. So now you're really digging a second layer deep on reinforcing the orientation, right? When you're just looking at that outcome, if it's good, you know, it that obviously is good. Your emotions make you feel good. And the inverse is true when it goes poorly. So why is this a bad thing? 
right? Like, hey, if it works out, shouldn't we be happy? If it works out, doesn't that mean we had the correct decision-making process? Does that mean we, we thoroughly evaluate all the options before us? We made the best decision we possibly could, and that got us to where we were or where we got to? Possibly, but also maybe not. So what do I mean by that? Right? How can we how could having a good outcome be a bad thing? And you know, I think the biggest thing there is that life is very unpredictable. You know, we make decisions all the time with incomplete information. That's just the reality of it. We may know 20%, 50%, 80% of you know, what we need to, to make a a fully educated decision, but almost never do we have a hundred percent. And so that in, that incorporates some, some variability to, to the mix, you know? So we're making decisions and we don't, we don't know all the the inputs yet being results oriented. We're going to judge our ability to evaluate those inputs based on the output that we get. And when you look at it through that lens, isn't it really clear how flawed that is? One of my, one of my college professors put it really well. There's, there's effectively, when you're making a decision, there's really four paths that can happen. You can make a good decision and it leads to a good outcome. You can make a bad decision and it leads to a bad outcome. Those are the easy ones, right? That's where we got what we expected. It's easy to reconcile that mentally. It's easy to reconcile that emotionally. But where it gets trickier is when you make a good decision and it leads to a bad outcome. Or you make a bad decision and it leads to a good outcome. So let's dig into that a little bit. So how can you make a good decision and get to a bad outcome. Well, that's where the unpredictability piece comes into play. So let's take a one of the clearest examples out there, the COVID pandemic. How many businesses and individual lives were extremely disrupted and potentially just damaged forever from it? You think about a lot of businesses, like if you start if you were asking people at the end of 2019, before things really started picking up, people were doing their annual planning for 2020, and they were thinking about how they're going to grow their business, where they're going to invest, where they're going to do this, this, this. Um, think about, you know, think about like a like a contractor or just anybody like in the construction space, where they were probably like, you know, hey, it's going to be it's going to be a solid year, economy's in a solid spot, we're just going to keep on running, and then. Everything falls apart, right? World shuts down. And somebody that went from having a potentially a jam-packed schedule working on development projects is now just out in the cold. They have nothing going on. It's a dead standstill. And their business may have completely fallen apart from that. So if you think back to end of 2019, should they have been like, oh, I need to stockpile a ton of cash because I need to expect to lose all my revenue for the foreseeable future, the world's going to fall apart. No, that that's not a reasonable 
thing to do. Nobody would have expected that, right? So if somebody, if that business owner was like, okay, I'm going to set aside my normal cash reserves and we're going to continue on business as usual, or we're going to invest some of those reserves into growing the business. At that point in time, that may have been a good decision. Knowing what you knew at that point in time, that likely was the best route to go. The way to grow the business, ensure people had jobs, make more money, all those good things came from making a decision with incomplete information and not knowing what the future had in store. So when things shut down and now all of a sudden those businesses are in trouble, then is that because they got a bad outcome because now they're on the verge of bankruptcy? Is that their fault for making a poor decision initially? No. I mean, I I would argue that it was because of the unpredictability of things. It That just was what it was like you, you got a bad outcome and that exists, you know, in every situation every day, right? You get in your car to drive to work. You got to go to the grocery store. There's an unknown outcome with that. Maybe 99.9% of the time you get there safely and all is well. And there's 0.1% of the time you get in a car wreck. It may not even be your fault. So does that make it a bad decision to go get groceries, go get food for your family? No, definitely not. But it also doesn't change the reality of the outcome. You just can't let that outcome cloud your vision, right? Like it can't, it can't be the determining factor for decision making in the future. And I think that's where we see a lot of folks get into trouble, right? You, you, you can see it. You, you there's got to be examples in your personal life. I've seen it extensively, personally and professionally. Where, say in my case, you know, we, we, my team does a lot of, of project management in the software space. You know, I'll tell you, there are always outliers that come up on like the customer side of things. There's always someone who has a really unique business model. They're doing something really different. They need something very particular. If we had a knee jerk reaction to every outlier that came up and we legislated our policies and our project management approach to handle every single possible outcome, we would never be able to get anything done because there would be so many layers and so much bureaucratic red tape all to solve the extreme cases that it would encumber the, the, the regular ones, the great customers, the, the normal situations. Right, we would be throwing, as they say, the baby out with the bathwater. So, we want to. It is important to reflect on outcomes, but it is most important to evaluate the decision-making process and the policies and procedures that go into that. Because if we stay results-oriented and we focus exclusively on whatever the end result was, we're gonna miss those opportunities. That's just the reality of it. Like if we think, hey, because we got a good outcome, then I I did everything right leading up to it. This is great. You're like, I bought a $1 lottery ticket. I won $300 million. Okay. Does that mean the decision to buy lottery tickets was the right thing to do? Realistically, you look at the math, obviously not, right? You have astronomically low odds of winning. And because you got lucky and things broke your way, that it, it justifies or it masks, I should say, a poor decision-making process. 
we need to be comfortable digging in deep there because when we look at those four scenarios I mentioned, right? You can have a a good or bad decision that leads to a good or bad outcome. The only thing we control in that is the first half of the equation, whether or not we make a good or bad decision. Once a decision's made, it's made. And the outcome is going to be what the outcome is going to be. You know, there may be certain elements that we can control and have influence over, sure. But primarily speaking, we're going to make our call and, you know, cards are going to fall where they're going to fall. So if that's the case, why would we spend all our mental energy and effort on evaluating the uncontrollable piece versus digging in deep to what we can exert influence over and ensuring that that's as squared away as it can be, right? So that's being process oriented, you know, I think oftentimes you hear folks talk about how life is like chess, right? Where you have a, you're bored, you have different pieces, different factors, different player types, all that sort of stuff. And that's just how it is. You got to move the pieces on the board. You try to win the game. Great. The problem with that is life is not chess. And I'm borrowing heavily from the book, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, which if you haven't read, you should. It's really interesting. It's poker, Texas Hold'em more specifically, overlaid with just human psychology. So it's it's a really interesting read, really good mindset to embrace. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. But when you think about chess, there's always a perfect move to make, right? Like when you lose, that's because you screwed up at some step along the way where there was a a better move you could have done, something that was optimal. If you've ever played on the chess app, you know, it can it can give you a rundown afterwards. It'll it'll rate your moves, tell you where you screwed up, and try to coach you on how to not do it again. So is that really like life? Like think about you know, my my COVID example. Somebody owns a restaurant, and let's say they whatever, their profit is twenty thousand dollars a month. Should they really have had $250,000 in the bank, just cash sitting there expecting like all their revenue is going to dry up and they're going to, you know, have to keep paying folks. They got to lay people off. They got to pay for bills and things like that. Like, no, that's not a reasonable business decision. And there's no perfect move that could have been implemented to prevent that. Because if you were the business owner that sat there with 250000 in the bank, how many years are you underutilizing your resources and you're really, it's a disservice to your business by, by playing things that way. You know, like we've had one major pandemic, I would say in what the last a hundred years, a worldwide sort of thing, you know, first since the Spanish flu. So like, imagine if you live from whatever 1940 to 2010 that's a seven-year window that you could live your whole life and there was never that sort of that specific type of threat in the world so it's not there's no perfect move you have to recognize the playing field understand how much information you have at your fingertips and then be confident making a a non-fully informed decision because you, it's just, it's, it's an, it's an impossible thing. There will always be knowledge gaps. 
and that we just have to embrace. And that's what Thinking Bets talks about. You know, it's uh, Andy Duke was a professional poker player, and personally, I'm I'm I really enjoy Texas Hold'em, playing it, watching videos, studying the game. It's really fascinating because for for gambling and casinos and card games, there are many layers of strategy to it. And it's one of the only games that has a human element in play. You're playing against somebody. It's not just the cards you get. It's the cards that they get. It's their mannerisms at the table. It's how they're interacting. It's how their body language is tipping information. It's how they shuffle chips. There's so many things that go into it. It's not that the cards are irrelevant. They are a portion of it. But real hold'em goes so much deeper to where you have to understand those factors in play to help guide your own decision-making. But just as a, as a basic example of in a poker context of why being results-oriented is dangerous, uh, pocket aces are the best starting hand in the game right? means every player gets two, two cards face down. No one knows what each other have. You look at your two, there's going to be a flop, which is three cards, a turn and a river, five cards in total. And your goal is to make the best five card hand. Pocket aces is the best starting hand because you have the highest pair available to start, right? That is, there's no beating that you are guaranteed to be ahead from the start of the hand. Now that can quickly shift, and that's the that's the the great thing about applying poker principles to life because when you have pocket aces generally speaking you will win 80% of the time which you have to stop and think about that for a second 80% so 20% of the time you're going to lose and you're probably going to lose a lot of money unless things go a specific way but how do you know if you're results oriented, like let's say again, eight out you know eight out of ten times, you're gonna win the hand. If you hit one of those other two, one of the ones that you lose, does that mean that you should fold aces preflop every time? No, that would be that'd be ridiculous, right? Like you're still gonna win eighty percent of the time. So even if, if you won say a hundred dollars a hand, and then when you lost, you lost a hundred bucks. Well, you'd make 800 and you'd lose 200, you would still be positive $600. So then wouldn't you try to you go for it every single time? That's that's the principle of it, right? It's like you can still make good decisions and you'll get some bad outcomes sometimes, but you need the the perspective uh, and the ability to think more broadly and strategically to understand like, hey, in the long run, is this going to pan out well, even if that means I lose sometimes in the short run? And along those lines, I think odds and metrics are have a really interesting psychological effect. So you have to, you know, think about, put yourself in a situation. Let's say, use another poker, the same kind of poker example. 80% chance you're going to win $100, 20% chance you lose 100 all right. How often do you take that? How often do you actually think you're going to lose? I don't know about you, but for me, there's a lot of times 
that once the odds shift to 70, 80, 90%, psychologically, I convert that to 100. You know, I think, oh, hey, there's an 80% chance I'm going to win this hand. That means every time I'm going to win this hand. And when I somehow lose by some miracle of just everything going bad against me, then, uh, you know, I it's just, it's mind blown, right? It just, it throws me off. So I don't know if you're like that, but I think broadly individuals in society at large will look at that. Where if something's 60-40 percentage wise, 60% happens, 40% it doesn't, mentally it's easy to think, oh, well, if it's, if it's greater than 50%, it, it can and should happen 100% of the time. But that's not the reality. And we have, to, we have to remember that. We need to push back on that psychological disconnect and understand that those odds are really odds. So 60% of the time, something good happens. 40% of the time, something bad happens. And we need to make decisions through that lens of, okay, it's, it's more likely than not that this is going to work out. We feel comfortable in that. We also need the contingency plan and be prepared for the bad outcome, right? That's the best decision you can make at the time. You can go with what seems to be the best result while having contingency plans to balance out the times that it doesn't go your way. So that's kind of a, a weedy topic to get into, and I'm keeping it fairly high level, I would say, because you could go a long ways, go into a lot of different examples. But what I like to do on this podcast is lay out a high-level concept because and give some simple examples to make it relatable. But where these things are most impactful is to take a step back and evaluate situations in your own life and relate it to that, right? That's something that is going to make it more personal to you. It's going to be more applicable. It's going to resonate better. So what I would encourage you to do, if you're still listening, which I hope you are, I would ask that you think back on what your best decision was in your life and what your worst decision was. And then as you think about those two things, Think about, am I saying this is the best or the worst because of the result or because of the decision that I made, right? So, you know, good example where, where I chose to go to school. I did this thing called the decision, at least I called it a decision matrix. There's a couple schools I was looking at. I think I had like 20 different criteria that were part of it. You know, location, opportunity to play baseball, curriculum, things like that. Right. And I rated each of these schools like one to 10 for each, each characteristic and try to put some quantitative numbers to uh, what was a very difficult, you know, very qualitative decision. And when I think about that, that was definitely, that was one of the best decisions of my life to go to the school that I did. I got a chance 
got got a phenomenal education, learned from some amazing people, played baseball with the best teammates, the best coaching staff that I could have asked for, had personal success on the field more than I could have imagined, met my now wife there, right? So many good things. But again, just as I'm saying that out loud, think about why when I when I think that's like the best decision that I've made, my first instinct was going to those end results, everything I just listed. But really, what I should be evaluating in that case is, was that decision matrix the best way of going about it? Did I list the characteristics that were really that important to me? Did I fairly score them? Did I did I have a good frame of reference? Did I have enough information to do that process properly? And really zero in there. Like, did did I make a bad decision that led to a good outcome? Well, I won't know if I don't evaluate the decision-making process, you know? So that's where I'd recommend you start. Pick the best, the best decision, decision being in quotes, right? Best decision, worst decision, and then scrutinize. Are you looking at the outcome or are you looking at your process beforehand? So... And I want to also, as we're kind of rounding things out here, I really want to drive home the point that good decisions can still lead to bad outcomes. Okay? 80% of the time you have pocket aces, you're going to win. But 20% you won't. So when that 20% comes calling, do your own personal due diligence look at your process but don't beat yourself up over it all right if you feel really confident that you made the best decision that you could have and it didn't work out then that's that and that's where it's the most important to detach from the situation subtract the emotion subtract the pain of the outcome and pat yourself on the back for making a good decision. All right. Because that's all you can do. When when things go sideways, they go sideways. And yeah, you can contingency plan. You can be prepared. But the worst thing you can do is destroy a good process. Convert it into a bad one all as part of a knee-jerk reaction to that bad outcome. All right. Stay focused on that process. And really, stay. you have to stay objective in general. You know, that's, that's really hard to do. I can tell you, like, I'm sure I'll get into it on, on more podcasts. The last six months in particular brought a lot of interesting trials, interesting challenges that I... Never expected. Never. <laughs> Even in the minutes leading up to what turned out to be a pretty transformative moment for me. Never would have guessed it. But that's the way life goes. And then things have a way of working out too. So having some hope and some faith at the end of that is also really important. All right. I think that's a good stopping point for this one.
So, if you have any takeaways, remember, process over outcome. And good process can still lead to bad outcomes. So, don't fall into that trap. Don't get super excited that a bad decision led to a good outcome and let that validate your your process. Challenge it. Challenge yourself. Lean on people around you to challenge you in this space. You know, don't don't be laissez-faire about it because this having this mindset can really change just how you look at life. And it for me specifically this is something I learned from baseball days. I was really bad about controlling emotion for a long time. I would say I don't feel like I got a good grip on my baseball emotions until I was probably a sophomore in college. And by that, I mean not doing anything crazy, but just stewing on bad outings. I would go out there, give up five runs, give up a bunch of home runs, things like that. Like I'd let it fester for days. And it took until I was a sophomore in college to realize that, say I was getting shelled, coach was pulling me out mid-inning. On that walk back to the dugout, that was my detach point. That was, I've thrown my last pitch for this day. This outing's done. It was terrible. What can I do about it? Nothing. All I can do is go back, think through the situations, think through what pitches I threw to which hitters at specific points in time, evaluating my process, evaluating which pitches I had that day, which ones I didn't, and how that shaped my game plan. And that's that's where the answer lies. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work out. Again, distinct to remember pitching against one of the worst teams I think I faced in college. No offense to them. I won't name them. And I think I gave up like five runs in three innings. And it was one of those where, you know, guy gets jammed and he hits a little dink ball over first base. Guy hits a soft ground ball, happens to squeeze through the infield. Another guy hits a flare, drops in front of the outfielder. Things like that. They call it getting baseballed, right? And I've had other times too. Threw a lot of fastballs down the middle. Guys hit a lot of hard line drives off me and my defense would bail me out right so again said i was going to wrap it up i'm going to wrap it up here just remember process not outcome good process can still be bad outcome bad outcome can still lead to a good process no matter what happens detach evaluate the process and move on move on and apply those learnings to your decisions moving forward all right thanks everybody for joining excited to be back on the airwaves keep an eye out for more podcast episodes and more yes more content coming your way so until next time i hope you all take it easy stay safe out there and reach out if you have any questions thanks